Acts chapter 11, for the sake of context, we're going to read the chapter in its entirety this morning. So starting in verse 1. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed, you must not call, uncom- uh, must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having uh, been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and your household will be saved. And as I began to speak... The Holy Spirit fell on them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God saying, then God has also granted Uh, to the Gentiles, repentance to life. And now the verses that we're going to focus on this morning, starting verse 19. Now, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. The news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out uh, Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarshish to seek Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was um, that for a whole year, they assembled with the church and taught great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And in those days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. As it is every Sunday, for me, it's just a great privilege to get together with all of you and to open the word, to dig into the word. And, uh, you know, as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts, we come to the place where we're reading about the gospel going out to the Gentiles, right? And I know when we looked at Acts 10, I said back then that it was a pivotal chapter. It was a turning uh, point in the book of Acts where the gospel went out to the Gentiles. And that's true. But, okay, here in these verses... Right, the verses that are before us, 19 through 24, this is where the gospel really goes out to the Gentiles. Again, it's true. Cornelius was a Gentile. He was a Roman centurion. And his story is the first report of the Holy Spirit falling upon a Gentile. But we need to remember Cornelius, he was what was called a God-fearer. Okay, he loved the Jews. 
He loved the nation. You know, he gave himself to the traditions of Judaism. He kept the kosher diet. He did the best he could at, at uh, keeping the law. Uh, he did everything short of being circumcision. But even with all of that, he realized that something was missing, right? He, he did all of that outwardly, but inwardly, he still had a longing, right? He still had a craving that there was still something missing. And he knew that religion wasn't enough, right? Religion couldn't make him right with God. And that's why he gave himself to prayer and fasting. He gave himself to seek the Lord with intensity and purpose. So with that as the background, we're going to see that this is actually the first time that Gentiles are going to be targeted. And that's an important word. They're targeted with the gospel. It says in verse 19, Acts 11, verse 19, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. So we need to understand, this verse takes us back to the story of Stephen, uh, found in Acts chapter 6 and chapter 7, and the persecution which arose after he was martyred, the persecution that was directed at believers by this madman called Saul of Tarsus. And remember, Saul of Tarsus, we read that he wreaked havoc in the church. It was during this time of persecution that Saul of Tarsus received letters of authority. They were basically uh, arrest warrants that were given to him to go to foreign cities and to hunt down Christians, bursting into the homes of Christians and dragging them off, forcing many of them to blaspheme um, the Lord Jesus Christ, putting some of them to death, and bringing others back to Jerusalem to stand trial. And it was because of this persecution that was brought about by Saul of Tarsus, it's because of this persecution that the believers are now scattered in our chapter. They escaped going as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. All of those cities mentioned are north of Jerusalem. All of them are quite some distance away. Now, in regards to Antioch, other than back, uh, you know, in Acts chapter 6, where we, where, uh, you know, the, the apostles raised up seven deacons for ministry, one of them was from Antioch. But other than that mention, this is really the first time that we're introduced to Antioch. And Antioch is going to come into focus as the book of Acts now shifts gears and takes a, a little different turn, right? And you see, as this persecution arose, many in the church went out preaching the word, but only to the Jews. The great commission given by Jesus to the disciples was to go into all the world and to preach to every creature, preach the gospel to every creature. And as we talked about last week, the prejudices that the Jews held towards the Gentiles seems to have uh, hindered them from for hindered them from fulfilling uh, the Lord's command. But all that's about to change now. Antioch is going to become the base of operations for the missionary work directed towards targeting uh, the Gentiles. So just a little background on Antioch uh, for you. Uh, Seleucus I, he was a man who inherited a kingdom from Alexander the Great. And uh, what he did was he went around building cities and naming them after his father, Antiochus. And depending on who you read, he did this somewhere between 12 to 16 times. So uh, there, there was up to 16 different cities in the ancient world that was named Antioch. In the Bible, we have two of them mentioned. And we don't want to get them mixed up. There's Antioch and Pisidia, right? But this Antioch that we're looking at today, this one uh, that we're going to begin focusing on in the book of Acts, this one is Antioch in Syria, okay? Now, Antioch, this one, Antioch in Syria, it's the third largest city in the Roman Empire. 
The first largest city, of course, is Rome. Anybody want to take a guess at the second largest city? Okay, I heard somebody say it. <laughs> it's Alexandria. Alexandria is the second largest uh, Roman city. Uh, Antioch, third largest. Does uh, uh, Antioch in, in Syria, it was considered the queen of the Middle East. It was a, it was a super advanced city. It was a beautiful city. It was a, it was a business center. Uh, it, it had a population at this time of about half a million people. And it had a four-mile-long main street going through it. Four-mile-long, made of marble, lined with marble columns. Uh, it was the first of all the ancient cities to have what we would call streetlights, right? They had lighting for the night. And Antioch was also the center for the worship of Daphne. Daphne was a, a goddess in Greek mythology that was seduced by Apollo. And the worship of Daphne was very sexual. You know, in reality, it was just a prostitution with a religious facade. Um, and, and because of this, it, it made Antioch a very loose city morally. In fact, a Roman senator wanting to describe just how far the Roman Empire had fallen, morally speaking, he wrote, the waters of the Orontes came into the river Tiber. And uh, Antioch was on the, the banks of the Orontes River. And the Tiber River is the river that went through Rome. So what he was saying was that the influence that Antioch had on Rome was a negative one. And Antioch was a contributing factor to the degradation of Rome. So with this as a background, it's actually very interesting, at least to me, to understand that the book of Acts pivots here and Jerusalem is no longer the focus. And it turns its focus to Antioch and it's now going to become the center of the new work in the church. And from Antioch, the gospel is now going to go out into the world, into the Gentile world. It says, verse 19, now, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, preaching the word. And we need to remember that these people that are scattered, they're Christians. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. And they're going out preaching the word. And what's very interesting, again, at least to me, because of the persecution uh, they were facing, that's why they were scattered, because of the persecution. It wasn't like God had called them to go into all the world and preach. Of course, yeah, that is the Great Commission, to go into all the world and preach um, to all the creatures. But in this situation, their call was, run for your lives. Right? And I think that this is something important that we should think through. Uh, I think it's important because sometimes I think that Christians, as Christians... We can misunderstand the, the call of God on our lives, right? I've never heard, personally, I've never heard this big booming voice coming from heaven. Gary, this is the Lord speaking. You know, it's never, I like it to happen, you know? Uh, if that's what the Lord wants to do, I'm actually open to it. You know, I think it would be pretty awesome, but it's just never happened in me, in my life. You know, the call that I've heard from the Lord has always been a quiet voice. And it's always said, Gary, I'm going to go do a work. Would you like to see it? I'm going to do a work. Would you like to be part of it? And sometimes I think as Christians, we can miss the call of God on our lives because we think it needs to be very dramatic. We think it needs to be very specific. You know, right? It has to be very clear. It has to, we got to see the direction. Right? We got to see how things are going to turn out before we get moving. You know, we need the one-year, five-year, ten-year plan. But that's not how the Lord does things. Right? We're called just to be obedient to what the Lord has spoken to us. Right? And the reality is, we have Jesus Christ in our heart. Right? We're to be led step by step by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and the call upon each of us is 
to share Christ with the world, what Jesus means to us, what Christ has done for us. You know, sometimes I think as Christians, we think we need to be a, a missionary in a foreign field before we can really go after sharing Christ on a regular basis. I need to be an evangelist. I need to be a pastor. But it's not true. You can be a missionary to your neighborhood. You can be a missionary to a hospital or to a job site. You know, you can be a missionary to that grocery store that you shop in on a regular basis. Each of us are to be someone who's just looking for and seizing opportunities to share the cross with the people that we run into. And I think that it's lost on Christians, but we need to understand we are Christians. We carry the truth of the gospel. We have the message of the cross. It goes with us every place we go. And everyone we meet needs to hear about the salvation that's found in Jesus. I have a friend He's a worship leader. And I tell you what, he's nothing like me. He has a beautiful voice. And this guy is called to be a worship leader. And he's gifted at leading people into the presence of the Lord. And I remember years ago, we were having a conversation. I was talking with him about, you know, God's anointing and calling. You know, I'm trying to figure it out, what it, what it looks like, you know. And I remember like it was yesterday exactly what he said to me. He said, you know, Gary, I think people who are truly anointed of God don't actually recognize it. You know, it's just something that they do. It's just normal. And, and out of that, I have a saying that I say all the time, a fish doesn't know it's wet. Each of us are called by God to share Christ. That's what we should be doing. We, we don't need some diploma in a $1.50 Walmart frame you know, hanging up on the wall to, to prove that we're called by God. We're called by God. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're called by God. And it's just that simple. You know, I think I've shared this with you before, but when I fill in for other pastors, when, you know, other churches ask me to come and, and share and teach, <clears throat> sometimes I'll, you know, try to loosen the atmosphere, you know, for me, it's always hard to start a Bible study, you know, so uh, it's a strange audience for me. I don't know who they are. I don't know if they, if they love me or if they can't get their eyes off my bald head, you know. And so I just say, hey, uh, just for my own information, how many people are here? Raise your hand. How many people here are called to full-time ministry? And of course, not many people, yeah, not many people raise their hands. And then I'll turn to the pastor and I'll say, Hey, I thought you said they were Christians. Because, you know, that's the reality of it. You know, if you're a Christian, you're called to full-time ministry. That's the point that I want to make for people, right? Every place you go, every place I go, we should be looking for open doors to share Christ. Because once again, people are dying without hearing that message. And that's what we see here in verse 19. These Christians, they're scattered, right? And every place they went, what did they do? They preached Jesus Christ. They, but it says that they preached the word to no one but the Jews only. Verse 20, but some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. Your Bible may substitute Grecians for the word Hellenists, where I read it there. Hellenists, uh, were either Romans or Greeks. Sometimes they were Jews, but they were, they were those people who embraced the Grecian or the Greek culture. And, uh, you know, that was the trendy thing back then. I mean, they dressed a little cooler. These guys were a little more hip. Uh, they they uh, had a cooler way about them. They were a little bit more edgy than the rest. But they were Gentiles who adopted uh, the Greek culture. And we see in verse 20 that these men from Cyprus and Cyrene, they're targeting them, the, the Gentiles, these Hellenists, they're targeting them with the gospel. And this is the first time that the gospel goes directly out to the Gentile. Uh, it wasn't, and that's, this is what I mean by it. 
it wasn't initiated by a Gentile, right? These Hellenists didn't set out to hear from God. They didn't seek the Lord with prayer and fasting like Cornelius did. This is the first time that the Gentiles were the specific target of the gospel. And what I really like about this story, these guys who are targeting the Gentiles with the gospel, they're unnamed. I mean, who are they? We don't know. We don't know. But the Lord knows. What we do know in all reality is these guys are actually heroes of the faith. These guys are heroes of the faith. They had the attitude when persecution came, when difficulties came their way, they had the attitude. They said, what are we going to do? And the others replied, I don't know. We have Jesus. So let's share him. And that's the greatest attitude to have. Listen, that's really what ministry is all about. I've been involved in ministry now for almost 30 years. There's no guidebook to ministry, right? There's nothing that shows you the specific ins and outs of ministry. There's nothing that tells you what you're to do when you face this situation and what you're to do when you face this situation. There's nothing like that. Believe me, I wish there was, but there's not. Ministry is just sharing your life with others, right? Pouring your life into others, just sharing with people what Jesus has done in your life, what he means to you. That's all we're to do as believers. And we read in verse 21, as they did this, the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. As we share Jesus with others, as you look for open doors and seize opportunities, do you know what you're going to find? You'll find that the hand of the Lord is with you. Tell you what, that's exciting to me. Right? You'll find that God's hand is upon you for that situation. Right? The more you seize opportunity, the more you walk through the open doors, the more you share Jesus with others, the more you'll see, man, that was a divine appointment. I mean, it was God who brought those people into my life. It was God who gave me. I didn't know what to say. And God gave me the words. And it touched their hearts. It's so amazing. You know, oftentimes, as I'm sure many of you, you know, you've experienced it. Oftentimes, you're sharing Christ with somebody. You don't actually know what to say, right? You're just, so you're just talking, you know. You're hoping something good's going to come out of it. You know, in, in honesty, it's kind of like every Sunday morning here. You know, I, every Sunday morning, I have to produce a study. And, you know, uh, I don't always know what uh, God wants to say to meet you where you're at. I don't know, you know, uh, what to say in regards to the Word of God, where it's going to bless your heart. But, you know, I trust the Lord to anoint the study. I trust the Spirit to speak to you. And the words I feel that He's placed on my heart, I just pray that God breathes life into them. And frequently... That's the way it works out. God, God gives you a word. And, and you think you're just talking, not knowing what to say. You're doing your best and you're struggling. And without even knowing it, God does a supernatural thing in a natural way, right? Uh, the Spirit moves. And, and you're able to prophetically speak into that person's life. And the Holy Spirit touches their heart and moves upon them in a way that that person wants to respond to what you're saying. And that's, what, that's what's happening here in verse 21. As they share Jesus Christ, it says, the hand of the Lord was upon them and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Now I find that so interesting because that's, that's the way you become a Christian. Right? It's not just believing in Jesus. It's not just some mental, you know, ascent. Yeah, there's, a, there's some cat named Jesus. You know, it's believing and turning to the Lord. 
right? The theological term for that is repentance. You know, it's turning away from sin. It's turning towards the Lord. That's all that repentance is. It's making a U-turn. I was heading in this way, living life for myself, selfish gratification, just want to please Gary. It's all about me. And then, you know, uh, I have a change of mind. And I change, I change direction. Now I give my life to the Lord. I give my life to Christ, my Savior, and I seek to live for Him, seeking to, to please Him with all that I do. I, I, I'm headed in this way, but I turn and I head in the opposite direction than what I was heading in before. Now I'm believing in the Lord, placing my faith in Jesus Christ, turning towards Him. That's all that repentance is. And isn't it what we've all done? I trust that we've all done that. I trust that we've all repented of our sins and turned towards the Lord. And now, that's what we're to encourage other people to do. That's the message that we have uh, as Christians. Place your faith in Jesus Christ and turn to Him. And in so doing, you'll have forgiveness of your sin and you'll receive the free gift of eternal life to live with Him forever. Now, I think you should understand, as you probably already do, the more you walk with the Lord, the more trials come into your life. You know what? Uh, you need to understand uh, those trials are there to strengthen you. You know, it sounds like an oxymoron. You know, I feel like I'm beat down under the trials, but no, the trials are there to strengthen us. And the Lord is there desiring to meet us in the trial. And I don't know if you know this, but did you know there's only one word in the Greek for trial and temptation? It's only one word. And we read in the Bible, as you read the Bible, you come across passages that says the devil tempted this person, right? And then you'll read other passages regarding trials uh, in people's lives. My brother, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. <clears throat> but it's the same Greek word. Translated once, trials, another time, temptation. Same Greek word. So how do you know if it's a temptation or if it's a trial? Well, a trial draws you closer to the Lord, right? You turn to him in the midst of it. You cleave to him where a temptation is there to get you to turn away from the Lord, right? And, and the reality is the longer we walk with the Lord, the more trials and temptations we'll incur. The difference is how we respond to them, right? If we turn to the Lord and place our faith in Him in the midst of the trial, saying, Lord, Lord God, You are able. Lord, I, I just pray, Lord, I believe You have a plan for this. And I give my heart to You. You turn to the Lord and you run to Him, then it was a trial. But if you give into that temptation, and you say, you know what, I pray and it doesn't seem like God ever hears. It doesn't seem like, you know, he's there for me. It doesn't even seem like he cares. It doesn't care about my situation. And, and with that, you decide to walk away from the Lord, doing your own thing, leaning on your own understanding. Well, then it was a temptation. It's how we respond to things that determine what the situation is. And as these heroes of the faith, faced with persecution, preach Christ to these men and women who don't know him, man, the Lord's hand is with them and these Hellenists respond to their message. They place their faith in Jesus Christ, turning to him, and they begin a life walking with the Lord. It is such a beautiful thing. And I don't know about you guys, but I never get tired of being part of that process. What a privilege. In verse 22, it says, Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out uh, Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. We saw in our last study, as Peter went in to eat with the Gentiles, you know, that news got back to Jerusalem faster than he did. You know, Jerusalem was like the headquarters of the early church. And, and each of us, listen, rest assured, 
every time something new takes place, something new happens, you know, there's always going to be someone running back to headquarters telling on you, you know, hey, do you know what's going on down there? You know what they're doing down there? And that's what's happening here. That's, that's what's happening here. Jerusalem gets wind that the Gentiles are now being targeted and they're responding to the gospel. So what does the church in Jerusalem do? They, they send out Barnabas, you know? And they send him out probably uh, to see what's happening down there. And he's probably supposed to report back to the church uh, in, in Jerusalem. They probably say, hey, Barnabas, we need you to go down to Antioch. We need to check things out and, and see what's going on down there. Let us know if it's of the Lord or not, you know? Now, don't forget Barnabas. We've already been introduced to Barnabas. Remember Acts chapter 4, right? And what we learned there in Acts chapter 4 is Barnabas was a Levite who lived in Cyprus. He was well spoken of by the apostles. In fact, it was the apostles that gave him the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, right? He was an encourager. And that's why the apostles called him Barnabas. <clears throat> and we learned back there in Acts chapter 4, he was a generous man. He had a piece of property. He sold it. He brought the proceeds and laid it down at the feet of the disciples. Um, and in verse 24 of this chapter, we, we read that he was a good man. You know, he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit. And not only that, he was also full of faith. So Barnabas was a great choice to send out to see what's happening down there in Antioch. Verse 23, it says, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them with uh, them all that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. <clears throat> and I want you to notice this. This is what I want you to see in this verse, right? It says, he came down there to Antioch and he saw the grace of God. <laughs> what does the grace of God look like? You know, I mean, I find that pretty interesting because it's not a specific color. It's not a certain shape. You know, it's not something that you can weigh on a scale. What does it look like? It's not anything that's tangible. But isn't it interesting when you see the grace of God, you know it? When God's grace is poured out, people see it. People take notice of it. And it just makes me wonder, We've all experienced God's grace. We've all experienced it. We've all experienced the forgiveness of sins. And it's by grace through faith that we've all been saved. Right? It was, it was through God's unmerited faith that we all enjoy salvation. Sometimes you hear people complaining about God saying, he's not very gracious. In fact, I don't think he's gracious at all. And you know, it just makes me scratch my Scratch my head and I say, really? You don't think God is gracious at all? You know, God doesn't owe you or anyone else anything at all. He doesn't owe us anything. And yet, he's blessed you even though you're an unbeliever. It just surprises me what people think. He's blessed us all as believers. God has blessed us so much. We have the privilege of being called by his name. Right? He has given us freedom to come before his throne at any time and to lay out our petitions, our supplications, you know, our requests right there at his feet. How gracious is that? You think about where you were headed in life before Jesus and think about where you're headed now after you've met him. How gracious is that? It's amazing. In verse 23, Barnabas arrives in Antioch and he sees the grace of God and he's glad. God's grace should always be something that makes us glad. You know, and let me share something with you. There are times where I get really down and depressed. I mean, I'm like everybody else. There are just times where you're struggling. And every time I get in that place where I'm just really down, really depressed, it's usually because I've got my eyes off the grace of God, right? I've got my eyes off of what God's doing in my life. And I'm down and depressed because I've got my eyes on the situation 
or the circumstance. Or it's because my eyes are on me. Woe is me. Why is it happening to me? Nothing ever works out for me. You know, it, it makes me think like I'm an opera singer. Me, 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 me. Thank you for the courtesy laugh. I was intending this to be a much more difficult crowd. You know, it's not the way it should be. The focus shouldn't be on me. Focus can't be on the circumstance or the situation. It has to be on the Lord and His grace. And, and, and I wonder, when people see us at work, you know, when people come into the church for the first time, I wonder if they see God's grace here. You know, I wonder if they see God's grace in our lives. <clears throat> That's my heart. My heart is that we would exude God's grace uh, and people would know as soon as they lay their eyes on us that they would know that we're believers in Jesus Christ, that we love the Lord, that, that they would see God's grace upon our lives and the result would be that they, they were glad because of it. It says in verse 23 that Barnabas encouraged them. What did he encourage them to do? to cling to the law, to obey all 613 commandments, and to do so with meticulous attention? No, that's not what he encouraged them to do. He encouraged them uh, all that with purpose of a heart, they should continue with the Lord. Listen, it's something that's so important. As believers, I really, I, I believe this with all my heart. We need to purpose in our hearts to walk with the Lord on a daily basis, right? It's a heart issue to run after Jesus Christ. It's a heart issue to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. It's something that we all want to do, right, uh, with all our hearts. It needs to be something we all want to do with all of our heart. Do you remember... In the book of Daniel, it says, but Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's delicacies. He determined in his heart that he was not going to do anything that would grieve the Lord. Right? To purpose something in your heart is to give thought to it beforehand to do or not to do something. Right? It's good for a single man or woman to purpose in their heart to remain pure until uh, the time they marry. You know, for a businessman, it's good to purpose in your heart that you're going to conduct business in a way that's honoring to the Lord, in, in a way that Jesus is clearly seen uh, being in the forefront of everything that you do. You know, what I found is this. I need to think through how I'm going to act in situations beforehand because if I wait until I'm in this situation, I'm not going to rise to the challenge. I'm going to fail. You know, if Daniel waited until the time that he was presented the king's delicacies and the king's wine and the meat sacrificed to idols, if he waited till the time it was placed in front of him, you know, had he not given any forethought to it, purposing in his heart, what he would do if he waited till the time that it was before him, he would have failed. He would have defiled himself. You know, there are things that I've taken to heart. You know, things that I've purposed in my heart. Certain things, and I've given serious consideration to them. Should calamity befall our family and, and Tina and I lose one of our kids or our grandkids or... You know, all of our kids and grandkids, you know, should the Lord choose to call Tina home and I survive her? You know, I've purpose in my heart. I'm still going to run after the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm still going to follow him. You know, Tina and I, we even just talked about this just the other day. And I told her, I said, hey, I've given my life to Christ, right? I've given my life to him to do with it whatever he is pleased to do with it. You know, I've been bought with a price. I've been redeemed, not with corruptible things like silver and gold, but, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I am his and his alone. I've purposed that in my heart. 
and I've made a firm determination. I'm running after Jesus Christ. God forbid that he take one of my kids or all of my kids to be home with him. God forbid that he calls Tina home through some, you know, terrible event. Should the Lord call my entire family home through a, a horrific, tragic accident? I'm still going to serve the Lord. I'm still going to go for it with the Lord. I've already made my decision. I thought it through. My mind's made up. I won't be detoured. Because what else is there in life? Really. It's something that we need to purpose in our hearts beforehand. You know, our hearts are so important. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And of course, the door that he's talking about there is the door of our heart. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Uh, I'll come into him and dine with him and he with me. Revelation 3.20. You know, what does Paul say to the church in Rome? He says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Well, why is the heart so important to God? The reason why is that our minds are changing constantly, right? I mean, we hear something on the news and we think, yeah, that's right. That's exactly the way it is. And then all of a sudden we learn some new detail, some other thing we hadn't heard yet. And, and you know, we're, we have access to some new information and we change our minds. Our minds are changing on almost a daily basis when we get further understanding, further knowledge, right? But our hearts remain steadfast. Our hearts are something that don't easily change. If you need an example of what I'm talking about, remember back in high school, that girl that you liked or that guy that you liked and they dumped you? And, and you know what? Your mind said, I don't need her. I'm better off without him. But your heart was broken and, and it might have been broken for a long time. You know, it's just an example of how our hearts aren't easily changed. And we need to purpose with our whole heart to continue with the Lord no matter what comes our way. And that means we need to be in his word. We need to uh, be in his word on a daily basis. We need to trust him in every circumstance, even when I don't understand. We need to be a witness for him. If we do not purpose in our hearts to be a witness for Christ, you know what the end, will, end result will be? The end result will be we'll never be a witness. It's just the way it is, right? That's just the truth of the matter. It's something that we need to purpose in our heart to be, right? We need a purpose in our hearts to believe that God is at work in my life, even when I don't understand it, right? When I don't see it. I've purposed in my heart that when I'm in a situation that I don't understand what's going on, I'm going to fall back on what I do understand. And what I do understand is God is loving. He loves me. God is good. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's wise. Why are these happening? These things happening in my life? I don't know. But I know if God is allowing them, he's allowing them for loving reasons because he's loving. He's allowing them for good and gracious reasons, for mercy, uh, merciful and wise reasons because that's who he is. I've purposed in my heart these things and I encourage you. I want to encourage you to do the same. You know, it's important as we walk with the Lord. It says, Barnabas encouraged these new believers to just run for Jesus, to give their life entirely over to Jesus, to live for him, to go for it with him. In verse 24, it says, for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Isn't that the description you would like people to use in regards to who you are? You know, hey, do you know Lily from Kings Beach? Man, she is a lady that is just full of the Holy Spirit and faith. What a blessing. Hey, do you know Lee Hayden? Oh, man, that guy, he's such a good guy. You know, he knows the Lord. He loves the Lord. He's full of the Holy Spirit and faith. I mean, I can honestly say that's what I want people to say about me. That's the description I want them to use to describe me. We're going we're gonna to stop here this morning.
You know, Lord willing, we'll finish out the uh, chapter next week. But I want to leave you with this. I was talking with a friend, you know, and uh, if you've tuned out, tune in here. This is important. Maybe close your Bibles and just give me your attention for just a few more minutes. I was talking to a friend this week, a pastor friend of mine, and he fell into a sin. He lost his church over it. And, uh, you know, it caused great difficulty in his life and uh, the lives of his precious family. We love these guys. This is a guy that I discipled when he was in college. And he said something to me the other day as he's pouring his heart out to me. He said, and and I don't think I'll ever forget this. He said, you know, Gary, you know all those times that we sat in, in the study and we heard that your sin will find you out? All those times that we heard that your sin affects other people, you never sin alone. He said, I believed it, but actually, I thought it was just theoretical, right? I didn't know that that's the reality. And my sin has found me now, and it's destroying my family. And I bring it up because of this. The stuff that we learn in the Bible, it's real. The stuff that we're talking about today is real. It's not hypothetical. It's not theoretical. This is real. And the reason I bring it up in light of the study this morning is because each of us has the opportunity to be heroes of the faith. Right? Just like these guys that we read about in in verse 20. They're unnamed. But God knows their names. He knows who they are, and there are rewards waiting for them in heaven. And we have the same chance to be heroes of the faith. Which of, which of us in this room hasn't ever imagined a scenario where, hey, we were the hero? Yeah, you know what? I have, and I'm sure we all have. We can be heroes of the faith if we'll purpose in our heart, starting right now, Right? We can be heroes of the faith if we'll purpose in our heart to go for it with Jesus like never before. Right? To run after him. When no one else is running after him, it doesn't matter who's going, I'm running. Trusting him with our whole heart. We can be heroes of the faith doing this. Why? Because you know what? He's worthy of that. He's worthy of that response from us because he's shown himself so overwhelmingly good in our life. He's loving, he's gracious, merciful, and wise. We can be heroes of the faith if we'll set our hearts on seeking to live our lives for him. Undeterred, no matter what comes into our life, to witness for him, to encourage others in the faith, to uh, reflect his grace, to be gracious towards other people. If we'll purpose these things, not just walk out of here and say, yeah, you know, study today, it was okay. Hey, you know what? I mean, it wasn't one of Gary's better studies, you know. It didn't really speak to me. If we don't say, you know what? These are just things that pastors say. These are just things that pastors say. Listen, if you think what we're talking about today is just something that pastors say, if you think it's just theoretical, you know, you'll come one day to realize when the Lord says to others, well done, good and faithful servant, and he passes you by, you'll realize that it wasn't theoretical. It was 100% true. You know, but at that time, it's going to be too late. Man, I can't live my life for Jesus after I meet him in heaven. It's too late. And you'll confess, if you think it's just theoretical now, you'll confess then in brokenness. I didn't think it was real. I didn't realize that this, that I could actually be a hero of faith. I just thought that's what pastors say. And I believe at that time, we'll be filled with regret if that's what we allow in our lives. Just like my friend right now is filled with regret thinking that, you know, I just thought that's what pastors say. It's theoretical. But if we purpose these things in our heart, right? If we seek to do these things in our lives, 
people will say of us, that's a good man. That's a good woman. Man, she's wonderful. He's terrific. So full of faith. Man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And it will cause people to glorify the Lord. And like it says in the last half of verse 24, it says a great many people will be added to the Lord through what the Lord's doing in our life, right? All of our lives are to be a witness of the reality of the love of Jesus. That's our purpose here on earth, right? It's not to make a million bucks, not to make two million bucks, not to have a bigger house. Nothing wrong with a million dollars. Nothing wrong with two million dollars. I wish I had it. I don't have it because it's not a good thing for me. God withholds no good gift to those that walk uprightly and love him, right? Nothing wrong with those things. But the purpose of our lives is to share Christ in a dark and dying world that desperately needs to know the love of God. And it's actually what I want out of life, to be used that way, right? I want to glorify my Lord. I want to bring, um, you know, people to him, point them to him, win them for him, because that's his heart for me. Fulfilling the purpose that he has for me, that's what we want out of life, right? I want to please my Lord. Don't you? Of course you do. And I encourage you today, as, as you leave today, think through these things. Think through these things. Each of us has an opportunity to be a hero of the faith. It's not just what pastors say. And my prayer for each of us this morning is that we would allow the Spirit of the Lord to speak to our hearts. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you so much. Lord, not only have you blessed us just with so much. Lord, not only have you poured out your love for us and demonstrated your love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, you died on the cross for us. But then, Lord, you filled us with your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. And Lord, I know it's the enemy. I know it's the flesh that would say to me, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. What if they laugh at me? And yet, Lord, the reality is, what if they respond to the things that I say? Lord, help us to be bold. Help us to be led by your Holy Spirit. Help us to encourage others in the faith. Lord, use us mightily for your glory, for your kingdom's sake. Lord, we love you. And we ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.